Happy New Year, Paper Pearls listeners, and welcome to January 8th's Monday re-release. Today, we re-release a podcast we recorded back in May of 2023, Maximizing Relationships, with guest speakers Dr. Don Eichenfeld, Dr. Cheryl Bayart, and Dr. Yasmin Kerkorian. Enjoy! And welcome to an early investigator podcast about maximizing relationships. In this podcast, you'll hear from three mentorship pairs. They will share their tips and tricks for a successful mentoring relationship, as well as thoughts on navigating tough conversations. This program is moderated by me, Jen Dawson, Pedra's Associate Director of Education, and joining me are my guests, Dr. Don Eichenfeld, Assistant Clinical Professor of Dermatology at UCSD, and her mentee, Jennifer Sway, a soon-to-be fourth-year medical student at UCSD. I'm also joined by Dr. Cheryl Bayart, Pediatric Dermatology Fellowship Director and Assistant Professor of Dermatology and Pediatrics at the University of Cincinnati, and her mentee, Dr. Katherine Bridges, Chief Resident at the University of Cincinnati. And last but certainly not least is Dr. Yasmin Kokorian, Chief of Dermatology at Children's National Hospital and Associate Professor of Dermatology at George Washington University, along with her mentee, Dr. Nidhi Shaw, an intern at George Washington University. Now, let's dive in to this roundtable discussion. Dr. Kokorian and Nidhi, would you two like to go first and talk about your mentorship relationship? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Yasmin Krikorian. I'm the chief of uh, pediatric dermatology at Children's National in Washington, D.C. And I have had the distinct pleasure and delight of having Needy as my mentee now for I don't know how many years. Needy probably knows. Um, Over three years. (laughs) Since she was a med student at GW. I'm going to definitely leave you to tell the story of how we came to be anyway. But um, Needy has been incredible. And it's incredibly rewarding to work with students and now um, residents like Needy who really take projects into their own hand and push them forward. And she brings me more than I could ever give back to her. And I'm so proud of her and was honored to put her whatever to do her cap thing and uh, do the hooding at graduation and now to see her join us as a resident. So it's been a really nice relationship and it's just going to keep continuing and I hope we keep her in pediatric term. So yeah, thanks so much, Dr. Kukari. That was very kind of you. Um, I think briefly, I'll just say, you know, it all kind of started with a cold email that led to uh, an in-person meeting. And I still remember that day. And I always think back, I was like, oh my God, what a great day that I met Dr. Kirkhorn because I never thought it would lead to so many opportunities, so many projects, so much learning together and kind of where I am today. She's been my role model for everything. Um, So I'm excited to be on this talk with her and kind of talk more about mentorship and being a mentee. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Needy, I'm so glad that you brought up that it was a cold email. And I definitely want to come back to that because I think that's an important thing to discuss, um, especially from the mentee point of view. So um, I've written that down. We're going to come back to that. (laughs) Um, Dr. Bayart and Dr. Bridget. Hi, I'm Cheryl Bayard. I'm a pediatric dermatologist at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and I'm our fellowship director. Um, and this is Catherine Bridges. She is one of our fabulous chief residents and is actually going to be coming on as faculty at uh, Cincinnati Children's next year, even without having done a fellowship, because she is that good at Pedsderm already, just from all that she's done in her residency here with us. 
We have a pretty new relationship because I've only been at Children's for a couple of years, but we're working on some research right now and we're really excited to have her come on board. Yeah, I'll say that our relationship first started as um, more of a clinical one. And I think that just for me personally, as um, a physician who um, who kind of sees themselves as a clinician as hard and a lot of my research interests come from my clinical interests. Um, I think over time, I found that those relationships tend to be um, the most robust and rewarding kind of getting, finding people are interested in similar clinical things as you and finding, kind of thinking of fun, interesting projects from that. Now have been working together a couple of years, found some shared interest and actually have a few things in the pipeline. I think we have too many ideas. Never, never a thing, but lots, lots of ideas to continue to explore. So it's exciting. Um, I've also had a few other relationships with some other um, mentors throughout the years um, with a few other different projects as well um, that have had, some of them have been very successful and some of them um, have not produced the results um, that they would like. Um, But I think all of them have been really great experiences and really great learning experiences as well. Let's see. Jennifer, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and you can talk a little bit about how you and Dr. Eichenfeld started working together and then we'll go to her when she gets on. Sounds good. Um, so I am uh, I'm entering my fourth year of medical school at UCSD. Um, and so definitely a lot lower um, in my training years than everyone else here. So I started working with Dr. Eichenfeld because um, at the beginning of my research year, or a little bit before, I kind of got the sense that pediatric derm was kind of where my heart lied. Um, I just really liked my pediatrics rotation. I love working with kids. Um, the little I knew about the kind of diseases and pathologies that you see in pedsterm all really appealed to me. And so I figured why not reach out to the pedsterm department and just see if they have opportunities. Um, so kind of also a cold email situation. Um, but I was lucky enough to be paired with um, Dawn Eichenfield, um, and she she has been just the most amazing mentor. I think even the way we first started working was very much like she saw that I was someone seeking mentorship very early in my training, um, you know, very eager to learn, but also very new to everything and just needed some guidance. So she really took ownership of that, um, reached out to me, um, said, hey, like, what are your interests? Let's work on some things. And so that's how it really got started. And I think over the past year that we've been working together, it's been pretty amazing to see our relationship kind of grow. I think there's been a mutual trust and respect kind of grow. Um, And so, yeah, it's been, it's been really great working with her. But so we've done, she does a lot of clinical uh, research as well as some basic science research, more translational because she's MD, PhD. And so I kind of help her with both. And it's been such a great learning process. Awesome. Thank you so much. So um, just hearing your stories has led me to think of so many other questions that, you know, I didn't even plan for. So I think first I want to go to Needy because I do want to come back to that cold email and how can you get started and how can you advocate for yourself as a mentee when you're brand new? So Needy, how did you navigate that? Yeah, um, I think those are all very valid concerns. And I definitely was in those shoes as a med student as well. Um, I think my journey was, you know, I had an interest in pedsterm as well. And I actually came across some of Dr. Kirkorian's, um prior research. 
And I had read through some of those papers and I was like, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. She's around the area. Um, and I had just sent a cold email asking for a in-person meeting to discuss more research opportunities. And, you know, I think I was a second year med student. I was nervous. I didn't really have much knowledge in research or dermatology. Um, but I think the biggest thing that really got the ball rolling and expedited the process was I remember walking into her office and she, of course, has a very busy schedule. She's the chief um, at Children's um, and it's just a lot going on. But I think one of the things that helped is I walked in with a piece of paper that said, hey, here are my ideas. This is the area I'm really interested in. And there were very vague ideas. Um, there were just a few lines like I've done some research. I see this um, area is really good. I really want to look into I pledge disparities. And my reasoning at that point was just like I was on Accutane. I thought it was really hard to navigate the process. And I just said that. And then we kind of it just led to this whole conversation of us, you know, talking about her difficulties with I pledge, kind of what my experience was, what I've seen in the literature. And it just catapulted this whole um, process. And we were able to just stay in touch. And she said, Hey, look into this more, let's catch up again. And that, that was that. And I think since then, Dr. Kokori and I have published more than 10 plus papers in that department, we've written textbook chapters together, we presented at conferences, and it's just led to this whole process. And it's helped me navigate my my kind of identity in dermatology as well in patient advocacy. Um, so I think it just started with something so small, but being prepared and showing up that, hey, I may not know everything, but I have looked into things and I'm willing to learn. I think that just goes a long way. Yeah. And I think Needy is not, is not even expressing the minimal amount of how much she no. took the ball and moved it forward. So um, definitely coming in with those ideas, or at least, I mean, we don't expect medical students to know that much. There are the rare ones that either they suffered from a certain condition and so have like a special interest or knowledge, or they just, you know, were PhDs and they studied, I don't know what, but the majority really, that's not realistic. And you may just have an overall sense you're interested, but when you're as busy as we are, and there's so few of us, it's not really realistic to be like, I want to do something, you know, like uh, I don't have projects that are just like hanging on my wall that I want to give out. Maybe some people do. That's not how it works with me. And so coming in with something that we can kind of build on is useful, but more importantly, like needy really brought so much to the table on this, like kind of cockamamie, like I pledge is annoying. And we like turned that into a million publications because she really hit the books. Like as soon as we had the kernel of an idea, she did these lit searches and came in like, well, I found X, Y, Z thing. And I've said this on previous webinars, but with like the paper we did where we showed pharmacy disparities, I was like, I've seen maps in some journals where they like geocode stuff. How do you do that? And she like brought me a geocoded graph. <laughs> I still don't know how she did it. I mean, the software exists, but she figured it out. So I think for people like me, at least, and I'm not, not all mentors are like this. Um, and I know Don, who's a scientist, it's going to be very different, like in the lab and that kind of mentorship, but I just cannot be driving the ball forward with micromanagement and I'm not going to do it. And it's not realistic. So people who are really driven and, and can bring a lot to the table, then I can really can bring more back. So then when you have a really good product, it's a lot easier to work on. So when students get a case report, even, and then they, they do a really good job, the title page is the way the, you know, things that I think of as basic common sense, like 
you have instructions from the journal. How have you not followed them? Like that already, we've, you've already irritated me, but if the basic stuff is there and I'm editing primarily for content and so on, then we can push that forward. I think bringing forward like a, a well, a good product, you know, like I don't spelling errors, grammatical errors, like it just, that's not something I would bring to a mentor. So I think that that's, um, that is very important, like doing, doing your best. And then lastly, I ignore the majority of emails I get. So the people who tend to be successful, you know, are very on top of bothering me, but in an effective, oh, yeah. <laughs> here's, the, here's the draft. Hey, I got you the draft, whatever. So they're not annoying, but they follow up in an effective way. They bring in the work into my office. They want to meet with me and so on. Um, so for me, that works well. Cause I don't have like the bandwidth to set up like a weekly meeting where I have students come in. I definitely, and I know this, Dr. Krikorian, from when you spoke to the mentorship group, you definitely promote your mentees in bringing well thought out ideas and in moving projects forward. And I know that's definitely one style of mentorship. And I wonder, Dr. Bayart, does your style of mentorship differ from that? And if so, how? Yeah, so I think that there's there's definitely some overlap in that I am not a micromanager either. Um, partly because I don't personally like to be micromanaged and also because I just don't have time to micromanage people either. Um, so I, I definitely really find that that people who are motivated and who are moving the ball forward, it's really helpful um, on my end as well. I, I haven't had as many mentees come in with specific ideas of what they want to work on, which is actually completely fine with me because I have a running list of things, kind of like Catherine was mentioning, we both, you know, projects that we've done and that we've gotten interested in. It's usually based on clinical observations like, hey, we just had three of these cases that are really similar, um, you know, we should write this up. And this happened pretty recently. And I had a, a medical student that emailed me and said, look, you know, I have done a bunch of research at Children's, which was a big seller for me because he already knows what he's getting himself into uh, and knows about the logistics of, of how things work in our organization. And, you know, I really am interested in DERM and I would love to work with you. You know, do you have any projects that you're looking for somebody to move forward? And so we, we looped him in as well. So I think that that is a totally fine thing as well. And I think as a trainee, it can be, you know, I think, Needy, it's really admirable that you had ideas of what you wanted to work on, because I think without the context of seeing patients and working in that field, I think it's really hard to develop your own clinical questions. Um, so I, I'm okay with people not necessarily having their own questions as long as they're willing to work hard and, and move things forward once we get into it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like in reality, that makes the most sense of we are doing that now as a division, creating a running list. So our kind of vision is to have these small projects like case reports and what have you sort of as a trial run. Like if you can handle this, then we can sort of build on that. And I think that will long-term, like for so long, it was just me and Kai and we just had no bandwidth. As we expand, that becomes more feasible. Also, as you build your research program, and again, I'll point towards Dr. Eichenfeld and her mentee here, but um, 
you know, I think the science is very different, but in clinical practice, a lot of it is like in clinic, I saw this and so on. And so now that Colleen is going to have an HS clinic, it's going to just naturally spin off hundreds of small projects within the context of the specialty clinic. And same thing for Kai with her vulvar derm clinic. And that's a nice way for med students to get involved, to bite off a, a small piece of a longitudinal project. But at the same time, I think it's very important that we as mentees can give them a product. Because if you just work on getting some data, but then you never have a publication, like there has to be a quid pro quo to some extent, because even if you guys are all noble and want to be peds derms, which we want you to be, and we love you, you still have to get into residency to be a peds derm and you have to have publications and you have to have more than like, I put a poster. That's not sufficient. It has to have like an end product. And mm -hmm. almost always that end product needs to be a publication and a case report's really not enough. It's one thing, but not enough. And so I think it can start with those projects and that's a great entree point, especially if people have a running list. And then that helps us kind of get to the next step, but you need the next step too. Thank you both so much. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to get into the sticky stuff, the stuff that's a little uncomfortable to talk about. And I think, Catherine, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot first, because you did very eloquently put that some of the relationships, mentorship relationships you've had haven't produced the results that you were hoping for. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about... Um, you know, how you navigate a conflict with a mentor and vice versa, how a mentor navigates that with a mentee. But Catherine, let's start with you. Like, what is your approach if a relationship is sort of going off the rails? Like, how do you approach getting back on track? Yeah, I think that it can be difficult. I wouldn't say that I've had a relationship where anything ever ended in four terms or anything like that. I'm still great friends with all, with everything. But I think um, especially as a medical student, um, in case there's any medical students on the call today, um, who maybe are doing away rotations, for example, where you, you know, it's not as easy to follow up with people in person. There's been times where, you know, I remember, you know, I was on an away and I wanted to do a case report or this or that just to try to help pull things up, show I was interested and kind of completed that on my end. Um, and then, you know, they weren't able to get to the completion within my very, very short four week period to get back, you know, with me with any edits. And then at that point, you know, you're trying to do things from abroad. This is pre COVID. So I don't think people were nearly as good with zoom or things like that. And so I think, um, it can be challenging as even somebody's mentioned kind of translating work that's done um, always to a publication, either um, from kind of the initial thought to a publication or from a poster to a publication um, from the edits perspective. Um, and so I think that, you know, you can always try to do your due diligence and trying to call them and follow up and things like that. But um, I think the farther I've gotten in my career, the more I definitely um, appreciate how many time constraints that people have. I think kind of kind of trying to set deadlines with people, or, you know, hey, I'd like to get this, you know, when do you, when would you like to see this done by mm -hmm. um, so that you guys have their expectations on the same page. And then even with revisions, like, hey, when do you want revisions to be done by? When are you going to get back with me with revisions? And I think that um, that can sometimes be helpful in moving things along as well. And I think that that really has been, um, I think the only sort of snafu that I've ever had working with others is trying to kind of move things forward. And so I think even with myself, if 
um, I'm working with somebody or if a medical student's trying to work with me, I think I just, I personally just try to really remember those experiences. And then, you know, if I don't have the bandwidth to do a project for six or eight months, because I have too much going on, you know, it's making sure that before I get involved, you know, with Dr. Bayard or with a medical student or this or that, I can really help to make sure that everybody gets to their end goal. But sometimes that can be challenging, especially when you have relationships that aren't in person. They're kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, in different cities. Right. And, you know, so much of us now are separated. And even if we are in the same city, it's hard to get FaceTime with each other. So I like the idea of just being very transparent with your timelines. Um, I feel like that's a great takeaway from that. Um, And Jennifer, I want to give you an opportunity here. Um, How you are obviously, as you mentioned, the younger trainee in this group that we're just talking about now. So as a medical student, how do you advocate for yourself or navigate those potential conflicts? Yeah, like everyone said, this is a difficult subject. I think I've been pretty lucky with my mentors um, where... I would say most people who are willing to mentor med student are well aware of the demands of it and are aware of like what's needed to succeed in this field. And so that's always in the back of their mind is what I've noticed. And if, you know, that's not something they're open to, then they won't even really give you the opportunity to work with them. So I haven't had a ton of experiences where um, I've really felt like I needed to push um, my own needs and my own agenda, just because I felt very supported. I think the main thing that other people have already touched on is just time constraints. People are so, so busy. Um, And like, I know that my little project is probably important to them, but not as important to many other things they've got going on. So I think it's like a fine balance of like, um, pestering, but in like, a respectful way. And I think that, that in my experience, that everyone's really appreciated the reminders, um, you know, in moderation i think that's a big thing um also just i firmly believe that like putting your heart into everything you do and taking ownership and just being proud of any work that you put out will ultimately lead you to where you need to be i don't think that like going through the process always thinking about oh what do i need to get out of this what what are my needs like i think that's a really unfulfilling way and ultimately like won't lead you to the most successes so um, I think also just trust the process, really like go into it with the attitude that I'm just wanting to learn. I want to get my hands on things that really mean something to me that I care about. I'm going to put my 100% into everything that, you know, all the opportunities that are given to me. And I think just trusting that will end up in a product that you're really proud of, whether or not that's like a publication in a super good journal. And obviously, hopefully it is. But I think, um, I think a lot of it is like, there is this mutual respect where you know um, you want to put your best foot forward for your mentor and you trust that they also want to do their best for you. So I haven't had a ton of, yeah, like I said, I haven't had a ton of um, situations where I felt like my needs weren't being met. Um, But I think that's what I would have to say about that. Needy, I saw you nodding quite a bit. What do you have to add? Uh, No, I would just agree with everything that's being said. I think the biggest thing is being transparent and having an open communication. And, um, you know, I, 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 I think as a med student, I, that's when I kind of started working on research projects and you have a lot of other responsibilities yourself and um, letting your mentor know that, hey, I have my boards coming up. I might be a little busy 
for the next month or so, but I'll be right back on track. Is it okay if we push this off? You know, um, I think just being open and setting those expectations from the minute that you know them and, you know, if something is happening, um, I think, um, like Jennifer said, the mentors are very respectful and they have been through this process and they, you know, they know that what you're going through um, and vice versa, just having that respect for your mentor too, that they are busy. Um, and I think friendly reminders, I would a hundred percent agree with that as well, that um, it's completely okay to set friendly reminders. I, you know, everyone can read an email and be like, okay, I'm going to reply to that or read a text and reply to that. And then you get busy or distracted and then you forget. Um, so, you know, if, if it's been a week, just send another email and be like, Hey, I just want to follow up. Um, if you've had a chance to look over this and that's perfectly fine. I think that's okay. Um, but I think open communication is the biggest thing. Um, that way the other person doesn't think that you've just, you know, left and you're MIA um, mm-hmm. and you both are on the same page. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. that Edie has course. done yeah. that I think will be valuable just to put out there for the um, people watching the webinar is that she has actually trained subsequent students like on multiple occasions. So if I've ever had people that want to work with me, I'm like, talk to Needy and then Needy kind of sets them on their path. Um, so she has been a mentor because she's kind of understood the process and so on. So that's a big deal. And I did want to put a comment about email out there. I, I just find it because I get hundreds of emails per day. Um, And I'm quite avidly on my email, but yet it's still hundreds per day that at some point it's hard to follow up on those emails as well as like verbal communication or in person. Like when a medical student is finally with me or resident, all of a sudden I'm like actually listening and we do the things that we need to do. So sometimes the email, if you're like not getting what you need on email, sometimes you need to kick it up to a text or even an in-person meeting if possible. That's not always feasible if you're remote or whatever. So I wanted, I want to um, kind of pose the same question to the attending side. Like how as attendings do you manage potential conflict? I mean, you've, this isn't your first rodeo. You've mentored countless students, residents, fellows over time. So I'm sure you're very adept at sort of heading those things off before they happen. But when they do kind of spring up, how do you handle those? I'll go to you, Dr. Bayart first. So as, as you alluded to, I think as much as you can prevent them, um, that's definitely optimal as opposed to ending up in, in these situations. So somebody had mentioned before, really clear communication about what the expectations are. Never assume that, you know, somebody knows exactly what you're talking about and setting up, you know, just some fake or, you know, self-imposed deadlines for yourself of, you know, we're going to meet at this time and have this done by then. And this is the goal. And and I would say the the majority of, of trainees that I've worked with have, have really risen to the occasion and, and impressed me. I, I've had maybe a couple situations where people haven't followed through as much and kind of, you know, disappear for a long time. <laughs> and I'm wondering what's what's going on with the project. And and I, you know, I totally get that that people are really busy, just like I'm really busy. And sometimes I am not the most on top of things. But I I really use the same strategy if, if, as a mentor if the if it's a mentee that has been you know MIA and just say hey you know I wanted to check in with this and see where you're at um, and sometimes they 
you know, have had something big going on in their life. And um, so, you know, I'm certainly patient and understanding about that, but I, I feel like it's a really very similar strategy going the other way as well. Dr. Kakorian, any comments? I feel like I'm like an avoidant personality, despite my directness and a seeming bluntness. I really like dislike anything but positive feedback. So it's challenging for me. So I'm often the culprit. Like if the product is really poor, it's really hard for me to engage with it. Like if a write-up that somebody does and they're really earnest and they meant their best, but if it's super poor quality, not out of anything, they just don't maybe know, not everybody like learned how to write an essay or whatever. I have a lot of trouble and I think Alona's on here, so maybe she can share her wisdom, but like, I do not know how to deal with that. Like if it's like, I have to rewrite this from scratch, I really find that to be very, very challenging. Like there, any, almost anything else can be dealt with. Um, I do think timeliness is a problem. That's easier to be direct about. You can sort of set those expectations as some sort of objective, like, Hey, this was due at this time. We really need to move it forward. But the, the like work quality, not being where it needs to be out of no fault of the person's own seems to me to be a, a difficult challenge. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Um, before we have a question actually that fits within this topic. So I'll ask that. But before I do, um, I want to go to Dr. Eichenfeld. Thank you so much. Poor Dr. Eichenfeld has been in a long clinic and she's just getting on and situated. So whenever you're ready, we'll have you sort of introduce yourself. So yes, I, I just had a, a, a fun, it was a good learning clinic, but I'm John Eichenfeld. I'm a pediatric dermatologist at Rady Children's Hospital. Um, I have worked with a couple of different people like medical students and also residents and people of varying types of training. I'm also early in, I'm not going to say training in morning because I guess I'm intending now, but I'm still, I always think of myself still in training because we are learning every day. So I'm still, I'm very early faculty. This is my second year. I've had um, the honor to work with Jennifer for the past years. I think she's Jennifer is amazing. She's stellar. She's like, she is very much a self-driven person. So she, um, and self-motivated. So she's very, she'll, you give her a project and she'll run with it. And she'll give her the nice, the wonderful thing is you give her projects of different types and she'll still run with it. It's like, she has many, many different talents. Um, so I feel very lucky to have been given, um, the opportunity to work with Jennifer this past year. Thank you, Dr. Eichenfeld. I appreciate that. So we've just been sort of catching up on how to navigate conflicts. And then we've we've um, talked about, you know, what makes a good um, mentee. And there's definitely been a theme on the call tonight so far where being driven and being self-motivated is super valuable. Um, we were just talking about, uh, well, we've been alluding to the fact that it can be tricky to get a hold of people and communication can be tricky despite best efforts. So an audience question is, what should I do if my mentor is just not responsive? And especially if you're waiting on that person to review time sensitive items. So what are, what are some pearls? What are some wisdom you all have to share for that? Do you want to go first, Dr. Eichenfeld? So I, okay, I will answer it both ways. So I think when I was a resident and fellow, I felt the best way to get a hold of my mentors was to be very persistent. Um, 
And um, I think that I don't think no one's ever ignoring you for like ignoring you ignoring like it's always because like you they get like 500 emails and your email is one of the 500 emails and they're probably on email three or something like that. And that's like most of the time that's what's going on. And then trying to figure out like trying if you have like a manuscript to review like printing it out and trying to catch them at a time. Sometimes you have to catch them if like they're really busy, catch them at a time where they can review your manuscript. Like sometimes you'll be like, I'll print it out for you. Let's go over it right after clinic. And then they'll give you like, okay, half an hour, we're going to go over it together with clinic, like right after clinic. So things like that. I think that's what I did when I was like a resident and fellow. Nowadays, um, I try to be, I try to be very, I'm, um, I'm one of those people who likes to answer emails like right away. So I do try to answer, like, I like to get it. Like once I answer it, I can file the email somewhere and then I no longer have to think about it. So then like, cause if I have to think about it, it's on my to-do list, then I have to do it. Um, so that's what I, I like to answer my emails right away. If it's, if it's a to-do thing, I try to do it and I hope I try hard enough to do it. Um, and then if it's something I have to review, like, it's um, I try to do it. It's like at, in a reasonable amount of time or I'll try to like set up a meeting to do the to do it or set up a, like me with my mentee to try to review something. And then I think like Jennifer is very good at catching me at times. And she, and then I also like Jennifer and I text a lot. So I think that's yeah. that's like we feel very I feel very comfortable texting her I hope she feels the same but we <laughs> yeah. text each other a lot and I I find that sometimes like if you have a question that's more like urgent not mm -hmm. urgent urgent but like not like life or death but things that are right. like it's just easier to convey in a text message like texting helps and then like yeah. and then I I'll call her sporadically sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah I I just threw off that I totally agree like I think there's a threshold where like you just have to feel out what's text appropriate, what's email appropriate. And then like, I think we both do a good job just with the constant communication texting so quick um, that we both know what's going on. But then also if some time has passed, um, I think Dr. Eichenfield's really good about identifying when, okay, we need to have like a real in-person or Zoom call to just like hash everything over reset, make sure we're on the same page about everything. And then between those, it's um, just like constant texting. Well, we've got more questions to get through. Another audience question. Um, for those people who don't have home dermatology programs, it's there's always a challenge in getting connected. And this member of the audience has said, you know, like cold emailing hasn't really worked for them. Is there a different strategy they can, should consider in trying to reach out to to people who are not within their institution? I will say um, at Cincinnati, we do often get applicants um, from programs sort of regionally that don't have um, dermatology residencies. Um, and so those uh, medical students are often kind of wanting to do projects. And the more successful situations I've seen is if you are planning on doing away reaching out um, very far in advance to get a project started because it's very difficult. Once you're there, it really is a short amount of time. So to try to get there, identify somebody in a week, then try to get a project and then you're trying to do things afterwards and it can be difficult. Like I alluded to, you know, whenever, and I think we've all kind of said the same things where 
it does make it a little bit more easier if you are able to see them in clinic, ask questions. Um, it can just help move things along timely um, in a timely fashion. So I would say if you are planning on doing an away, you can always reach out to the program coordinator and say that you have some interest in doing a research project. Um, and they, at least at our institution, um, kind of help to connect to residents or attendings. And so then you can get started on something before you come. And then maybe have it, you know, near completion or the idea by the time you get there um, so that you can nail down some of the more nitty gritty details or things. So I think that 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 could be um, a good strategy to at least um, form a relationship in that way. I know that that's maybe not um, a good way. You know, that's obviously not a way to form a relationship if you're not, you know, doing aways or things like that. But if you are planning on doing it aways and looking for an opportunity, I would definitely recommend reaching out as soon as you um, have scheduled that away rotation. Now, in that scenario, is that also, would you want to apply the same strategy as um, in other, in like, like Needy did where she had a bunch of ideas that she brought forward? Would you also want to do that for away rotations, have some ideas prepared, or would you research that institution where you're going to be going to see what they're already working on? Like, how does, what would you recommend in your outreach? You know, I'm not sure because I did not think of this idea whenever I was a medical student, but um, now that I'm a resident, there's been a few medical students who have been clever and, and to think about this idea and have reached out to the department beforehand. And I just thought that that was such a great idea. And I've noticed that those are the medical students who tend to have something to to either a poster, a publication, or some sort of academic experience that they've been able to gauge in at the end of their rotation. Um, and so I will say at least the, the medical students that I've worked with just as a chief resident, that's kind of how um, I've heard about these situations. A lot of times they didn't have ideas and they were looking for projects. Um, mm -hmm. And then the residents had some case reports. Mainly it was all, always case reports, at least at our institution, um, that they hadn't gotten around to getting written up and they were able to provide the medical student with all the information beforehand. And then they were kind of able to finalize the report on, on that rotation. So um, I'm not sure they didn't, these people didn't come with any ideas, but I'm sure that that would have been a lot um, that I think that that would have been also a good strategy, pretty helpful. See, if, look up people's bio, see what they're interested in and maybe make a connection mm -hmm. that way. Go ahead, Jennifer. I think also, yeah, just to add um, a little bit, because I know that as a, as a medical student also, the unanswered emails is a um, unfortunately very common thing. Um, so just some things that I found that might help. Um, one, like just by word of mouth, or um, if you know of people or departments that have a history of working with mentees and other medical students and are very active in the mentorship um, area and research area, I think that's a great place to start. Um, I know that can be hard to to figure out, but um, you know, if there are people in your program who have matched previously or have done research previously, I think they're a great resource um, just to you know um, dig a little bit more for information. I also think when emailing, it's really important to be um, specific and direct, and like maybe even include a CV in there before they need to ask you for it or say like, these are my um, areas of interest, like whether it's PhDerm or it doesn't even have to be specific because like we mentioned before, not 
most med students don't have a ton of experience already, but um, just like what your potential interests um, in research are, like what your prior experience is. So I think the activation energy to respond to an email that's like, hey, I am really interested in research. Like, let me know if you have anything available is super high. Whereas if you have something really targeted um, and really have or demonstrate that you have um, a specific idea in mind of what that relationship might look like or what you're looking for, I think it's a lot easier for the potential mentor to decide if you are an appropriate mentee for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Do any of our attendings want to respond? So I'm not in 100% sure of the situation from the way the question was written when they said they weren't getting responses from people in the community. I was wondering if they were, you know, dermatologists in private practice, mm-hmm. not associated with an academic institution. Um, and please correct me if I'm, I'm misreading the situation. And I I think that these people can be awesome mentors, especially clinically. They're seeing so many patients and they can give you a great perspective on the field. Um, But I think in terms of getting into dermatology residency, it is really important to have at least one mentor that is in academics. So if you don't have a home derm program, that may mean reaching out to somebody who's in academics at another institution. Maybe you would meet them through PEDRA or, you know, the Society for Peds Derm or another meeting like that. And, and the Society for Peds Derm, um, I believe actually has some mentorship programs and so does PEDRA where they pair people up. So that can be a way to get paired up with somebody um, and, and they try to do it based on interests and, and other factors. But I, as somebody who reviews a lot of residency applications for our residency program, I do sometimes get candidates that have, you know, their letters of recommendation are from community doctors who maybe don't work with other medical students and don't really work with dermatology residents. And so they're like, well, this is the best medical student I've ever worked with. She's really, really great. And I'm like, well, you know, do you really know what you're talking about? You know, (laughs) as opposed to somebody who's working, you know, with, you know, 20, 30 medical students a year. So as, as somebody looking at applications, that is something that I do take into account is the context of that. So, um, and unfortunately, just the way that, that the field is getting into residency is really competitive. Um, and, and I think that also the flip side of finding somebody in academics, the other, you know, good thing is that they're really used to getting these kinds of emails and questions and, you know, put, you know, can, I think adding also, like, if you are, you know, too busy or you don't have the bandwidth to take me on? Is there somebody else that you could recommend that I would reach out to? Um, And that's an opportunity for, you know, the attending to pass along to maybe somebody else who's a more junior, less well-known colleague, um, but is going to be a really, really great mentor um, and or somebody that may be a good match for you. Yeah. Not having a home derm program is a real challenge. Um, it's not fair, but it's the way it is. Um, and so I think that is where you really pragmatically need to be aggressive about these mentorship, formal mentorship opportunities, women's derm, peds derm, ASDS doesn't really matter. There's a, every society has paid scholarships for mentorship and that gets you a foot in the door because if you have like there, the mentors are part of it and you actually get somebody who has committed to that program. And then you can actually get to them or, or through Pedro or what have you. So I think 
for those who are outside uh, who do not have home programs, it's really going to be important. And I do think just for us as Pedro, we should prioritize people without home programs for such scholarships mm-hmm. and so on, um, because it it levels the playing field and makes it much more fair. It's a great idea. Yeah, I, I like that you have mentioned the support that the societies can offer. And this is it's a beautiful segue into one of our other audience questions. Um, do you recommend attending the PGA annual conference if we haven't had the chance to begin our own research project yet? I think when you go t- to somewhere in person, you're going to meet a lot more people than if you just do it virtually. For example, I mean, for example, what's nice about PGA is that there's like there's like um, a poster session where you get to walk around and talk to lots of people about their posters. And then you get to eat food and have a glass of wine. And then it's it's just nice. And then you, and then like the posters are already sitting there. They're like, they're kind of a talking point. Like they're like a conversation starter. Oh, like, tell me about this post. Like, tell me about your project, like things like that. That's, it's just very cool to have, to be able to have like kind of a relaxed atmosphere to talk to people. So, and then aside from that, the PEDRA conference, like it's not like a normal conference in that the like normal scientific conferences are you go and you learn about science. I think the PEDRA conference is more about you go and you learn about how to better pursue your science, I guess, or how to better, like, how to better start your science. So it's, it's just um, a very different type of conference. And then, and then there's like working groups where you, you kind of have small groups where you get to um, kind of like learn more about different projects that people are still working on, or still like going to start talking about them. Um, and it's it's just like, it's almost like a little brainstorm session. And it's and you get to kind of see how projects start from the ground up. Because most of the time when we see projects, we're going to see them when they, they've already been fully established and published and all the, all the little details have been ground out and you see only the nice part. And it's sometimes nice to see like the parts where, oh, like, oh, so that was not a good idea. You've like, we will like, there, there are lots of bad things, like bad ideas that happen before we get to the good ideas. I shouldn't call them bad ideas. It's more like just like um, ideas that need to be better refined. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then what about our our trainees? I know, I think, Needy, you've been to a meeting and I know Jennifer has. You've had good experiences. You've been able to network. Definitely. Um, So unfortunately, my meetings have been limited to virtual during the pandemic time. And then of course, the one year that they were uh, in person, I was an intern, unfortunately. Uh, But I think regardless, even in the virtual setting, uh, you know, being able to display your work and, um, you know, I think there was a, a question I answer session and just being able to engage and see, learn about what's out there. I think that's a really great idea. And I would say like, it kind of, you know, encourages you and draws you to identify different parts of dermatology that you didn't know about, just, you know, expand the horizon, see what you're intrigued in. And that way you can kind of look more into it. So um, just go in with an open idea and see what kind of draws you and try to learn more about that and see if that can lead into anything. And there's nothing wrong with reaching out to the person. You can look at who the authors were on that poster or something like that and even email them um, if you're not able to go in person and meet, have that face-to-face conversation. And that could be a, um, a way to start conversation that, hey, I saw your project and I'd love to learn more about it. Do you have any other opportunities? 
um, I didn't realize like until I went to the conference, like just how tight of a community pediatric dermatology is. Um, and as a fairly new member of it, sometimes I feel like, I mean, not imposter syndrome, but like um, just a sense of like, I don't know where I fit into this community. Um, and so like when I think attending the conference really made it feel like, yes, I'm a part of this community. I have the same end goal as all the people here. Um, and then just like putting names to faces really helps. And also just like, there are a lot of med students that go to the conference. So I think um, that's really valuable too, to talk with trainees from other programs, like what they're doing. They probably have the same struggles and feelings as you. Um, and they're a really good soundboard too. So I, I definitely think that going to conferences even if you're not presenting is super super valuable thank you yeah i actually went to pedra my fourth year on scholarship um mm -hmm. and had a couple of posters and um kind of just wanted to echo what everybody was saying it, it was a really good experience people were really interested in what we were bringing um i similarly felt um a little bit intimidated at the time because i didn't no, obviously, anyway, they are besides my mentor, but it was great to meet a lot of people and kind of hear all the ideas that were swirling about. And I think it is a great way to potentially um, meet some new mentors. Um, I know we're getting very close to the end, but I do want to honor these last two questions that have come in so quickly for mentors. What is enough for commitments? Is there an amount of time that a mentee should commit to relate to a relationship before approaching a mentor for a project or relationship? Like what's a reasonable amount of legwork that should be done beforehand? Um, let's go to Dr. Eichenfeld first. Okay. So basically I think that um, it depends on what your project is going to be. So you, you want to commit for what you're planning on doing with your mentor. So that's the main thing. So if you want to do a case report with your mentor, then you are committing for a case report. And that's not that much time, but it's it's a commitment. If you are committing for a retrospective study with your mentor, you need to, it's like a little, like, it's more flexible. You You get to like, you can do, you can like write it after clinic. You can like write it at night on the weekends. Like you can, you can look at the chart on the weekends. Like it's more flexible. If you are co like committing for a randomized clinical trial with your mentor, that is more time intensive. That is like, that is like you are going to be there every single day, like all the time. If you are committing for bench work with your mentor, that's also time intensive. It's like a randomized clinical trial, but even more sometimes. I don't know. So it, it really depends on the type of work you're doing. I agree with everything John said, unsurprisingly. Um, I think you need to also figure out what the time commitment, like what your expectations are of your, like the mentor's expectations. So sometimes I don't care if you do the case report in six months, it's for you. But like more recently, we presented a case of norovirus induced rhyme. And I was like, I want this out fast because other people may see this. I don't want to get scooped. So I basically told Eric, like, this needs to be done in two days. <laughs> Can you do it? And he was like, ah, yeah. And he got it done. Um, so that's not typical, but there are times where, you know, we need to be very communicating well. I wanted to just say something different about this comment because I think I didn't think the question might have meant Maybe I misunderstood the question, but it also depends where you are. If you're a first year, like Needy, I think you were a first year, or maybe you were a second year, but you were early. We had this like enormous vastness of time in which to dream about like, perhaps we can invent like a new planet, you know, that is not realistic for a person in the second part of third year. I know I keep being like mispragmatic here, but you still are trying to get into residency 
so that you can be the doctor you dream of being. So it's a very different conversation with depending where the mentee is like, look, dude, if you need five publications in the next two months, then you're not going to do anything on the weekend except you work. Um, are you, is that where you need to be? Or do you need to be thinking about taking a year off? So that's the kind of discussions that I have with mentees. If they're a first year, we can really do that dreaming big. And Dawn, you haven't talked about it at all, but you're like an actual scientist with laboratory type projects and translational research. So I don't know if you wanted to say something about, I feel like that's kind of a different kettle of fish. Than I do. I, I know. I'm like, I'm like a poor, I'm like a poor, um, like everything because I, I'm pulled in so many directions. Um, so I do very tiny amount of bench work. Jennifer did like all of my bench work this year. So that's kind of what happens um, because I have clinical duties and educational duties and children duties. And so like, it's, it's basically like Jennifer, like did a lot of the heavy lifting. And um, so I'm, I'm very like, I, I don't have, I, it's very hard um, I think it's very hard to do a little of everything. Um, and I am learning that day by day. Um, but I also, yeah. So like, I think if you do bench work, I think most people who've done bench work understand that it's a very slow process. Um, like I've been working on a project that I started as a second year resident. So now it's like four or five years in the making. And um, my original mentor was Brian Sun, who is still at like who is still like an attending, but he's still my mentor. So like it's it's kind of like it's kind of like it's just like slow in the making. And um, yeah, and so that was my trying to be my point. It's like if you come to Dr. Eichenfeld and you're like, I have four days and I would like to do like RNA sequence for you know whatever, like that's dumb. So be realistic about like what you can achieve depending on the state you're at. And then we can do these bigger scale projects, but generally it's good to have little bites, big bite, medium bites and big bites. So things are always in process and you're going to have some projects. Like for example, Jennifer, it sounds like you've moved along really important stuff, but you may not see fruition now, but in five years, you're going to have this incredible thing. It's good to have a little bit of all that. And I think with Needy, we had that too. Like we're still spinning off projects along the way. Some were little projects, some were big. And I think that way we both felt satisfied that we got what we needed out of that. This is really wonderful. We are at time and I want to be respectful. So thank you all so much. We had some really great key takeaways. I think chief among them is, um, especially for mentees, be organized and communicative. It's really important to, and certainly encouraged and okay to come with thoughts and ideas to your mentors and these new relationships. Um, and then I think the the second large takeaway is just, you know, be really aware of how much you may or may not be communicating with your mentor and adapt to their communication preferences so that you're both getting the work out of the relationship that you need. So I want to say thank you so much to everybody. I want to especially thank Dr. Eichenfeld, who was tasked with organizing this EI webinar. So I appreciate you bringing this all together. Um, and thank you to our wonderful trainees and to our attendings who were willing to speak about the uncomfy stuff and also share some really amazing wisdom. You guys are all doing excellent work and this has been great. Thank you so, so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this podcast about maximizing relationships. If you have questions about PEDRA meetings or PEDRA resources, please email us at info at or you can check us out online at www.pedaresearch.org. You can also find us on major social media channels. We are on Instagram, LinkedIn, 
Twitter and Facebook, all at Peter Research.